Well, hey, everybody. First, I thought I'd have another excuse to yell into the microphone. And, and third, I thought uh, I would do a little bit of a reboot of the podcast here. It's been a while since, uh, since I've podcasted, and we haven't really done very many pivotal podcasts recently. Uh, but we, we have a, a new person who I've been uh, here at Pivotal who, uh, I don't know, I'd say pe- some people who listen to this podcast will know him already. But uh, I, I was talking with him recently and thinking, oh, we should have a, a, like a, a podcast buddy show that we do. And so here we are. We'll still call it the uh, Pivotal Conversations. Uh, and, and my plan is to just do the usual format of, uh, well, at least usual for things I listen to, where we go over just stuff we think is interesting and germane to the topic area that we have. And, uh, and then every now and then, if we can wangle it out, we'll, we'll interview some people. Uh, this episode is just uh, me and the, uh, the co-host. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. This is Richard Soroder. I'm happy to be here. I just joined Pivotal, I guess, what is it, eight weeks or so ago. So my hazing period's done. I've recovered and going to be excited to help with our messaging as, as with Cote and working with the, the Pivotal Cloud Foundry team and done a number of things in the past, which hopefully give me a little bit of empathy for, for all the poor folks who, who build and run legacy systems or try to pick a cloud provider and, and hopefully now try to move up a level and, and actually ship meaningful apps. Now, now you're you're up there in Seattle, right? If I, I am a cloud city. Man, it's it's like really raining down here in Austin. I don't I don't know how it's going up there in hot air balloon land, but you know I think we might have switched the weather. We got a little mix up. I know, seventy five and sunny here. It's the it's the apocalypse. Oh yeah, it's just raining cats and dogs. There was a picture of the local dam here, and it, and it looked like you know maybe there was a zombie outbreak and someone wasn't manning the station. Just water flowing everywhere. It's crazy. Here's, here's the other thing I wanted to ask you. I was cutting up a watermelon earlier. Do you guys get a lot of watermelons up there or just like cranberries? It's a little more cranberry, a little more granola here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm, yeah. I'll have to bring some watermelons next time uh, I get up there because we got tons of them down here. They're, they're delicious. It's, uh, you know how to pick a watermelon? I don't. Are you supposed to shake it or, or tap it and hear your, your echo in there? What's the? That's what? right. There's there's two things other than price, and maybe this will be. Uh, we'll see if we come up with the recurring bit tips that have nothing to do with computers. We'll call them uh, analog transformation tips. But you, yeah, that's right. You want to tap it, and and the test is this very ambiguous KPI called you want it to sound hollow, whatever that means. And then also apparently you want to make sure there's a big yellow spot on it where it's like rested on the ground or something. So you want to get a big yellow spot and make sure it sounds hollow. So uh, now you know. That's right. Half the battle. So have you been following the, uh, the serverless summit stuff? I did a little bit. It was fascinating last week. Obviously, you and I were at the CF Summit a bit, but, but it's this season where there's always dueling conferences going on. I think it was the first time they did that. So it was interesting to hear some of the thoughts coming out now around whatever serverless computing means nowadays, it actually still has a fairly meaningful definition versus cloud and DevOps and other things that have <laughs> right. been corrupted beyond belief. So what would you describe serverless as? Like, what's, what's going on there? I mean, it's typically seen as the layer that's almost above what you even see as, as traditional PaaS or what we might think of as Cloud Foundry, which is there's no concept of the infrastructure underneath. There's only, it's deploying functions. It's mm. saying... You know, the unit of compute isn't really an app, let alone a virtual machine or container. The unit of compute is a function. And so I deploy functions to a fabric and it auto scales underneath. It's pay per use. If you look at public examples like Google Cloud Functions or obviously Amazon Lambda or the new stuff that Azure has as well, it's about 
like this might run for 10 microseconds, pull from an object storage, resize an image, put it back in, and you're done. And that's what you pay for. So it's mm-hmm. a different way of thinking. Crazy asynchronous obviously brings up all other considerations for how the hell do you trace this thing? What's logging like? How do you do security? I mean, it's, it's extremely immature in concept, but clearly a powerful idea that probably complements more traditional full-featured apps. All right. It's like one of the original, uh, I don't know, pre-cloud cloud visions. Like, you remember uh, Network.com from Sun? It's a big, a, a, big, a big batch job grid like that was supposed to run in some Siberian data centers or something. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, again, it's going to be fit for certain things. I can't fathom how you're going to rewrite your Java Spring web app as a serverless thing in that same sense. I mean, we have mm. ways to go before it probably retools other things, but it opens up some cool scenarios for more batch processing or a lot of one-off tasks. Yeah, there's uh, there, there's this drive almost, I don't know how to describe it, but to find the smallest unit of meaningful cloud compute, <laughs> right? Where, where uh, like, like if, if, we, if we package up a whole application, that's not a small enough unit. If we package up just like one process, is that a small enough unit? Or if it's just one function, is that the smallest unit? Like at some point, there's, we need to identify what the uh, the atomic u- unit of cloud compute is. Yeah, which- and I believe uh, our friend Mr. O'Grady, you know, Redmonk had, had pointed out that you know I, he think he believes the function is that lowest level. At some point, you are at the atom level, and there's no nothing more to decompose here. So, but then you also have to take a step back and go, okay, at what point does it matter? Because am I going to do a Git repo per function? Am I going to build up all this infrastructure just to be serverless? And now what have I gotten from that? You know, is, is that making my life any easier? Or do I just have now new complexity I couldn't have fathomed before? Yeah. That's it. Watch. Huh. Well, that's, that's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, there's, there's a, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to it, but there's a lengthy write up over in the new stack of the idea of serverless. And, and, you know, I always like lots of charts. There's even some charts in it from like big consulting firms, which is uh, sort of exciting, but you can right. check those out. Very legitimizing. That's right. Well, you have an infograph. You're That's in. right. As I always like to joke, I enjoy hiding behind charts. That they're uh, they're they're a good shield to put up there, especially the bar yeah. charts with year over year data. Right. I mean, I'm trying to be careful because I'm I'm the same person who would uh, poo poo people who complained five years ago that cloud was immature and it wouldn't do anything. So I'm trying to avoid hypocrisy by saying serverless is just a silly fad because it probably isn't. But at the same time, it is early, right? This stuff's probably years away from being really mainstream. So everybody who's listening should be paying attention to this, and you should be experimenting with this. I don't expect that it's going to redefine how enterprise IT or IT actually functions anytime in the next, you know, five years. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes. I mean, as as you were pointing out, there's a lot of. Uh... If you sit down and write down all the re- operational requirements and even developer requirements, development requirements you need, you've got to make sure you those things integrate well with with the new concepts that you have. Which, to your point, no doubt, like if if uh, if serverless stuff remains a thing, that'll happen. But it's just a matter of making sure that uh, what, what's I don't know that you have what you need. <laughs> That's right. So, also, have have you been covering the uh, the Google and Oracle uh, case? That recently concluded basically in Google's favor. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that means we can implement APIs now in the clear, right? Yes, the world breathed a collective sigh of relief that APIs are once again freed from the shackles of our Oracle compatriots. So what was interesting, I was reading some news today where the Oracle lawyer was actually saying that you know, this actually spells the death of open source because now licenses don't mean anything and you know, GPL and others. Oh, right. 
you know, now it's open source is a free for all, which of course seems like that's a, a bit of obviously hyperbole from a, from a losing side. But it seems like it's it's good news. These things always become tricky because it's probably not as boogeyman as one side positions the other as. But it seems like it's a good blow for defining and using APIs and not locking these things down and screwing up a, a very large community that's built up around this stuff. Yeah, I, you know, you're making me remember the. Uh... What was the name of the the company that was like suing all the Linux people with like the uh, the 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 hotshot CEO at the helm who was always just saying crazy stuff? It was I know. Uh, I know. one of one of the Unixes. Uh huh. And uh, yeah, like like to us, I remember. It seems like the largest impact fear of that, I don't know, lawsuit, legal shenanigans, just like with this one. Well, it's not so much, well, for us at vendors, it's a big deal, but it's more that if you, if you go to like all of the users, the buyers, the enterprises out there, the large organizations, uh, you know, if once they start freaking out about implementing interfaces, like all those enterprise Java beans that are out there, those are just right. interfaces that have been implemented. It does, it, it does start to have a uh, much larger impact <laughs> of fear, essentially. And, uh, you know, I was, I was at, uh, they have they had OzCon here in Austin uh, a couple weeks ago, and you know I don't really know the answer to this, but I was looking around and you know we had a um, a booth there and lots of people had booths and you know OzCon being the what was it the the open source conference I guess is what it stands for, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it, you know out of the corner of your eyes you could see like the usual open source people like juggling and wearing their utility kilts. But it seemed like everything there was pretty normal and mainstream. And, and it made me wonder, like, like, one, obviously sort of like the open source world is mainstream. But it made me reflect that, like, there's not really that much, like, fire-branded open source stuff. So for, you know, and, and, and the reason I think of this is, like, I guess if you had a very uh, literal and, well, not even literal, you had a very classical read of the, uh, the GPL, Mm-hmm. Like this lawsuit would seem to damage open source because essentially like uh, if I remember the GPL, it's basically like if you do your object linking, which used to make sense way back when, but has been taken to mean that if you like basically uh, at compile time link your code to something, then right. uh, all sorts of things come into effect. And, uh, you know, implementing an API would sort of enact that, which I guess if you had this weird reading of open source would think that you were destroying open source as a consequence. But then like, there's a lot of other licenses out there <laughs> beside the GPL. And in fact, like invoking them again, I'm sure our, our friends at Redmonk could run some numbers for us, but like, I, I'm not sure there's that many uh, large projects over the past 15 years that follow GPL stuff. A lot of them seem to go with more permissive licenses. So mm-hmm. it seems like everything will be dandy. But that is a, I don't know, that, that is a bit of a relief that now you can implement interfaces. Everyone yeah. can start compiling again. That's right. Until the next thing pops up and, and Amazon tries to copyright the AWS API or, or some <laughs> other thing, we'll see. Yeah, that's, that's, that's always been out there on the... Uh, the ambiguous horizon. Hmm. Right. Good point. So speaking of that, there was another like thing that's interesting in the, uh, the, the cloud native world that uh, Salesforce is going to be running. Was it, is it all of it or, or just some of a large part of it on AWS? No, it's only, and I'm only, I'm doing air quotes right now, but it's only like $400 million worth. So it's not, <laughs> right. it's not all of Salesforce retooling, but it was, 
you know, obviously bought Heroku years ago, which runs entirely on AWS. And I, I think this was a, we're going to do a lot of our new work on AWS. So, some interesting, you know, things you think about through that. A, that means that the other cloud providers didn't win that business, which is always something people talk about. Then there's <laughs> right. the, you know, what are the long-term plays of, you know, is Salesforce, you know, want to pull out from, you know, the hyper-invested Oracle stack that they have today and they're trying to run. They had a big curve, you know, big blow up a few weeks ago where, one of their instances was down for a number of hours and they actually lost four hours of data, which is pretty unusual yeah. for a, for such a mature provider like that. And, you know, they just maybe looking at diversifying a bit, which is interesting. You know, there was a big love fest between Salesforce and Microsoft a year or so back. And you wondered if those two were really going to get a little bit closer. So just interesting to see one thing from the CF Summit that had popped up was I hadn't known that Salesforce was one of the first ones that looked at Cloud Foundry as a platform and ended up deciding to go the Heroku route because they wanted to own their destiny there. But how the world might have been different had they uh, mm. been the first deployment of CF for running Force and, and some of those systems. Yeah, I, th I think one of their buddies, SAP, is using Cloud Foundry in a lot of their uh, new stuff underneath, if I recall. So that's, that's right. That's interesting. Yeah, and it's also, you know, I don't know much about the internals of Salesforce, but it strikes me that they probably have... Uh, an architecture. I mean, they have many, many applications, but they probably have several uh, large applications that have an architecture that one might consider legacy, if you will, or close enough to a lot of the a lot of the large organizations we talk with, and they want to know how to migrate to cloud. And uh, you know, like if I I forget if Oracle still, I mean, if, if Salesforce still has a lot of Oracle in the middle of it, but I remember that was a uh, quite a big component of it. But it they seems, it, yeah, it seems like. Uh, if they if they can manage to run uh, what with four hundred million is that maybe like one quarter's payment on that new building they're doing down in San Francisco, right? Like, like it, you know, it's probably uh, possible to to move things over there. Now that said, it's uh, it's probably worth you know wondering more what applications they're moving if it's sort of like their uh, their older things or newer things because they like I said they've gobbled up a lot of stuff over the years. Yeah, I don't recall how open they are about some of their own internal plumbing when they speak at conferences or things like that. But, you know, I think we're all hungry for detail. So it would be awesome to see conference presentations over the next year or two about how did they move from some really tightly coupled Oracle driven architecture into some more cloud native stuff on Amazon. I, I would love to see that talk. I hope they loosen the reins on on some of their more intelligent and and well-spoken architects. Yeah, and, and then it's, it's. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's, it's a question that comes up all the time. I mean, there's two versions of this question. I mean, the question is basically, uh, why would you do anything except run in uh, in Amazon and or the public cloud, right? The, right. You know, the, the three or four public clouds, depending on how you bucket things out. Yep. And, uh, you know, what, one of the versions is, well, I just gave it, is, is pretty uh, strident. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 another one is is uh is is phrased a little differently is like uh you know why why would you want to run your own data centers or or like what what are people doing exactly and how how would you know when will when will all the uh on premises or private cloud stuff move to public cloud and and I think uh you know we we were we were talking about this a little bit beforehand but i think most of our customers run on on vSphere if i remember i shouldn't right. say most but if if you were to rank them uh that's the number one type of infrastructure people run on and then i think maybe second is like aws and third is probably openstack and it, it you know it kind of goes from there mm -hmm. but it is like i i have seen amongst amongst our 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 customers 
they tend to like want to install on stuff they have right now. And, and there's also a lot of legacy systems they have to deal with. Like the example I always use is, you know, if you're a big airline, you've got to like integrate with like your reservation system. And so unless you're going to move everything at once, you're going to need some kind of connection to that. But, uh, you know, the, the other thing that I, that, that's interesting in tracking and especially looking at with something as big as Salesforce moving there is, uh, maybe eventually one day you could just move everything like whole hog and planning out like what it is as, as far as new applications it seems like it's always a good idea to look at running on public cloud uh if that's possible but then the real thing becomes what to do with all of your existing you know part of the bucket is legacy but the other bucket is that thing i was describing where it's like legacy using applications <laughs> and and figuring out when 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 they should move over or not but uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to track like amongst our customer base and other people like who who's running in public versus private cloud. And then ultimately, my other my my other theory, or I don't know if it's a other, but my my main theory is that a lot of what people want to do is like not have to be responsible for their infrastructure. And whether that means they run on premise or off premise or it's managed or unmanaged, like it doesn't really matter. They just don't want to worry about it. And and so far there aren't. I don't know, maybe enough managed service offerings or ones that are cheap enough that would that would work out that way. But it seems like most people just aren't really interested long term dealing with infrastructure. There's not really like uh, it's sort of delightful in a riddle solving way. And people who do it like enjoy it. But from a big, big picture perspective of the business, like running the uh, running the servers is like just about as exciting as like making sure the electrical and facilities and plumbing is functional. Yeah, there was a good counterpoint. Actually, I just read it 30 minutes ago from uh, us recording here, but some good counterpoints from the serverless conference from someone who presented. She wrote an excellent counterpiece just saying, look, operations is arguably more important than ever. And it's hard to disagree with that. I think what we're more or less saying, though, is, you know, investing more and more in operations isn't super attractive. It's that operations still matters a ton. It's just I can't afford for it to be a growing part of my budget. So we need to be awesome at it, and I need tools that help me do it well. I just can't keep plowing more and more headcount into maintaining these systems. I need to do more with less, and I need to empower those people to do it efficient, you know, efficiently with on-premises stuff, cloud stuff, whatever it is. So the job's probably changing. Ops still matters a ton. I, I just want to spend less time doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think that's definitely true. And the the other thing that uh, that I encounter a lot. And, and I would encounter this a bit as back when, back when I was doing analyst work, but definitely now going out to talk with large organizations is uh, it, it almost seems like and, and, and I would distinguish between like operations and infrastructure, just like raw infrastructure is sure. just getting this, the, 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 the I guess the, the, the three things, your compute, your uh, your networking and your storage sort of right. like functional and working together. And, uh, you know, being being a former application developer, I just assume all this stuff is, you know, we can sort it out. All the hard work's up in the level that I used to work in, of course. Like, that, we can just take that for granted. But, uh, you know, it, it seems like there's a certain cut line where you need to worry about the operations of the application and the servers services that you're using. But, like, eventually, and this is what, this is what I imagine when something as big as Salesforce goes into AWS, it's more like, is... There just isn't like this notion of like worrying about servers and storage and networking as much as if you had to manage all that stuff on your own. And so that sucks a huge amount out of there. And maybe right. you're still somewhat concerned about operating systems and like 
the uh, your 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 firewall like settings and like all this kind of stuff. But you slowly are like carving away at that, like some sort of convicts trying to escape from the the prison of on on premise management. Yeah, I mean, I'm still moving up the stack a little bit. Somebody's still going to have to manage Amazon EC2 instances and all those things. But to your point, I'm not dealing with power and cooling and requisite, you know, getting data center space and you know, dealing with those things, which is complicated. So again, I, I still need, I'm going to have to run my systems. Even if they're serverless, somebody is running something somewhere. So that sort of competency matters. But right, I think that where you're spending your time is probably going to keep differing and changing over time. And and as anyone who's ever watched a movie about either artificial intelligence or robots in the future, you know, you got to have some human control over that. Otherwise, they're going to take over the world. They'll just hide out down on your infrastructure and just take over. So you, you got to have some governance over that. Very important. No, I mean, I, I, I breakfast with a pancake bot during the CF <laughs> summit, and and frankly, it may be a little uncomfortable. That's right. Wait, I should have brought my uh, my uh, my what's his name, Steve Steve Gutenberg virus stick to upload <laughs> to it to just proactively disable our our future overlords, the pancake bot. Right. Uh, so speaking of that, so we were at uh, Cloud Foundry Summit uh, last week. It was like uh, was it like three and a half, four days or so out there in Santa Clara. It was. It was already like three cloud years ago because it was seven days ago. But yes, it, it did just happen last week. I know, and we we had a we had we had what you might call a work cleansing by having uh, the Memorial Day holiday. So we had a three day weekend, which sort of just you know washes out stuff from your brain. You can just re- reboot when you come back there. It's, exactly. It's, it's good to reset there. So I, I thought I thought this was. Uh, I think I've been to one other CF summit and uh, watched the videos from the the the. I don't know if it was the first, but the one that, that Andrew Schaefer emceed a while ago. So, well, on that note, first of all, that uh, that Dr. Nick guy, that's a good choice for an MC. He should run tech conferences more often. I think uh, yeah. I think that was fantastic. He had all sorts of like, uh, I don't know, he's kind of like an Australian Ricky Gervais, except like not as caustic, which is sort of what you want in a uh, a conference like that. Right. And I admired him because probably only 70% of his jokes landed, but he felt no shame. And I admire that so much. I he, know. He didn't, get, he didn't get caught by something that got no laughter. He just kept going. And that is so awesome. He 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 embodied fail fast and stand up <laughs> humor. He just exactly. plowed on through, gathered some data and uh, went, went on, learned, learned and improved as things things progressed. Indeed. So I, I, I liked this. Uh, you know, what, what I look for in these these summits is basically like... Uh, essentially people who are using cloud foundry outing themselves so to speak and going over what they're doing in details kind of like we were talking about it'd be great to know what salesforce is running on aws and and i think i i haven't done some sort of scientific study but i think if we were to compare uh what is this 2016 2015 and 2014 and i don't remember what happened before that but i think there's the most sort of uh uh users and customers going over things and and some of the better details out there i spent a long time when i was writing stuff over the past year looking through all the videos from uh, last year to get little little quotes and numbers and stuff like that and there's a lot of good stuff in in last years from like Humana and Lockheed and Allstate and the usual sorts of people, but there was there were there were new new people as well in the Cloud Foundry community. Like uh, Comcast was talking about what they're using. Like they've got something like nine hundred applications running in their their Pivotal Cloud Foundry instance, and there were also some good. Even you know, it's good to see people come back up. Like uh, 
I think over most all of the Cloud Foundry conferences, CoreLogic has come up. And it's interesting to sit down and look at um, the year-over-year videos and kind of see, or talks, I should say, how it's been going for them. But Allstate came up and they gave a, uh, I guess it's a year. I don't actually know how long they've been um, using Cloud Foundry at the top of my head, but they had some pretty good numbers about increasing productivity and and that things were improving for them. So, you know, I think uh, our, uh, I always want to call them Altos, but that's a whole other company. But the the Altoros people had a good uh, summary of of all these little zingers and stuff. And then uh, one one of our coworkers, David Soul, also published something just today, kind of uh, pulling all of the uh, interesting stuff he found while he was there at the summit. What What did you think yourself? What uh, How did this is your uh, your second one to go to? Just like myself, right? Or have you been to to more? I think it was my second one. I actually funny. I pulled up the one. It was called Platform. Back in 2013, mm. it looked like nine nine people attended. Maybe it was more, but <laughs> it looked like it was a it was a small affair. I think uh, somebody mentioned, I think Sam Ramji mentioned that the Bosch Day on Thursday was bigger than the entire CF Summit a few years ago. <laughs> so that's amazing. That's awesome. So it it definitely was a, for me a maturity sort of conference, like you said. It was great to hear real proof points and and the the Altoros point Altoros point where they listed out a hundred interesting quotes. It was a lot of good data points in there, like, hey, we're operating faster, or we have hundreds of developers now pushing code to this, if you're Allstate or if you're Comcast, that it was real proof points. You could argue, gosh, we go back to the first ones, it was almost like you were, I don't know, we're all dating. Last year, everyone was pregnant, talking about how great their kids were going to be, and this year, you actually have the toddler running around that looks legitimate. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not just saying, this is what we think we're going to do someday. It's Allstate saying 30% of our data centers running PCF holy wow what that's great stuff so you're finally seeing real proof points not people just kicking the tires and saying this is what we hope will be when we grow up but instead saying hey we're out we're trying it we're not done by any means but we are now legitimately on this journey i think that that was for me something that really stood out yeah you know you know you're making me think of a, an interesting point is that the a lot of the people in the the cloud foundry community the the, the users let's call them they have a um they have a pretty like humble take at it like like very few of them come out and say like yes we've solved all the problems done <laughs> and now here's here's some slides yeah but, but there there's uh like like Matt Curry uh he had a he had a good talk among many others like this that was going over how Allstate changed the culture around and things they were doing and and he had he had a a, a funny series of pictures what was it there was it was there were boats it was sort of like uh, every project starts out as this speedboat like it's really quick and things are going great and then and then you know thing you get more success and more people are added and it's kind of like a pontoon boat it's it's you, you know you can accommodate more people it's a little slower but uh, you know you're more successful, and then and then and then he. The, I, I wasn't expecting this next one, but it was funny. He's like, but then if things go too poorly and they get too bloated, and his next slide was a paddle boat that was just <laughs> like you know way too many things going on and lots of governance. And I mean, I guess actually a paddle boat could be delightful if you want like a, a gambling boat. You you miss your uh, your Kenny Rogers sorts of memories and James Garner and all that. But it was it was a uh, it was a good analogy, the sort of a nautical analogy for uh, for managing all of your. Uh, your projects. But the point being that uh, it's it's fun to see a lot of those companies go over how they change things over because, uh, you know, no matter how much the sort of like agile and DevOps people talk, most of them are consultants. And so they don't necessarily have as much legitimacy as actual end users going over things. And that's what I'm always trying to encourage, whether they're 
people who are in the pivotal, the cloud foundry, or just general using computers in a new way world is like, you just got to go out and talk about it. Like it's, uh, I mean, I almost feel like it's a responsibility that you have if you have enough spare time, uh, you know, when you're not trying to make money or do whatever goals you have, it's, it's, it would be good for us as an industry if you came out and went over how you're doing those things. Cause it's a very, it's sort of dark knowledge at the moment. It is as a, as a, I guess a weird aside. I also find it, it changes my perception of the company. I'm a Comcast customer and, and Comcast isn't always known for having the best public reputation, but mm. you know, after hearing some of those presentations, you know, whatever my, my score kind of ticked up a little bit <laughs> just cause it was like, okay, they're, they're trying to do some interesting stuff. Here's a face on a company. So I guess this goes back to, you know, these are our these are companies listening to the podcast. You should be sending your people to things because it makes me think more highly of your company. Definitely. You're showing, you're pulling back the curtains. You're showing us your real place that has real weird challenges. And it's not just my cables out, but this is a remarkably complex distributed system that works beneath the covers. And I can appreciate that. So as an aside, I mean, I think that's for me fun as well. Watching these companies get up on stage and explain what they do because heck, I'm a customer of many of them. And now I understand them better. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Like I, uh, we we've we've got a pretty active um, U.S. federal government sales team. So so I and other people go go talk with people in D.C. a lot, government agencies. And and I remember the last time I was out there, I was I was just driving around. Well, being driven around, I guess. I'm, I'm not an animal. I don't, I don't rent a car to drive in D.C. But uh, you know, you drive past all these buildings, and and you realize how massive the federal government is and how many moving parts there are and, and how complex of a system it is. And then, you know, when you go talk with the people, you, you, you get a little more confused, or at least I do, because they're just people <laughs> like, like running stuff. They're not like these, uh, these crazy automatons or like weird, uh, you know, the kind of thing you'd see in that Apple 1984 ad or whatever. And they're generally interested in proving, but you know, that for me, the end result is that like, Oh, right. This is a very complicated system that does a lot of difficult things. And so we should figure out how to improve it. And that's like, you know, whenever I go talk with government people, it's sort of like a cynical and, and a sardonic person that I am. I always tried to end in a bit of a, of a high note or, or, or a positive note. And when I go talk with government people, you know, I always feel like if we can just improve IT, even a fraction of a percentage, like government has such a huge reach that it will improve all of our lives more. And I think, uh, you know, you see that same thing in, in, in the commercial world, but it is, it is nice to actually get to know the people who are working behind these brands. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, that's what I think I enjoy the most about working for a company that, that's mission is to help some of the largest companies because they can make some of the biggest impact. Like you said, I mean, a 1% improvement in how the gap processes or how the government processes are these very disparate things, but they're all large companies that impact hundreds of thousands and millions of lives that they don't have to completely retool everything to make a difference. But, you know, the other thing that stood out for me in watching the customer sessions or the analyst day was when you had people talking about, I don't know if you, maybe you heard it, I didn't, but almost everybody talked about a, a transformation journey. This was not, mm. I bought software and now I run cool, shiny stuff. It was, I am trying to change how we deliver technology services to run a better business. And that is so refreshing and nice versus just, hey, look, I can orchestrate a thousand containers. Who cares? Did you actually get help your customer today? And it's just, I really like that. The Pivotal Labs makes a huge difference for how many of those customers on stage called that out specifically, that 
helping us think about test-driven and pairing. And you know, these things fundamentally change our outlook to how we develop software quickly. That That's meaningful. It means that we're actually making a change, not just selling widgets or six units of DevOps. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's, uh, that was true. I, I was thinking I should, I should write up something about the, uh, that analyst breakfast there because there, there weren't that many people there to cover it like the other posts that we went over. But yeah, w- once the, uh, uh, some of the, during the Q and a session, a lot of the, not all of them, but a lot of the analyst questions were around what you were saying is how do you, uh, how, how do you propagate these changes throughout? And, and I think, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I have another podcast, the, uh, Lords of Computing podcast I do with, uh, to mention him again, Matt Curry from Allstate. And that's sort of the, the focus that we have on that podcast is answering that question. <laughs> and, and one of the people we interviewed recently, uh, Brian over at Express Scripts, he was, he was on it recently and he kind of reprised a little bit of this in the analyst breakfast, but it really is just, um, at that scale that we were just talking about is is slowly growing from from successes and building up and building up uh further and further right there's no sort of like overnight change that you have um and right. you know whether whether it's as matt curry was talking about perfecting your t-shirt design there on the uh the pontoon boat or whatever or or you know the, the story that brian was telling is is similar that we hear from a lot of customers is that uh if you expect to have I hesitate to call it small, but incremental growth. You can build that up over time. So like he was saying, you know, they installed uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry about five months ago, and now there's like 100 developers or so using it, which may not seem like a lot in the grand grand scheme of thing. But as long as that, that, uh, to be all Charlie Munger, as long as that growth keeps on compounding over time, so to speak, like it, uh, it definitely, that's how you spread things out in a kind of safe and resilient way. And that that seems to be the... uh, the journey that, that people are going on. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, unfortunately behind a, well, unfortunately, if you don't have access behind a paywall, but I was just reading one of the analysts who was there, uh, Lauren over at Forrester, uh, she had a, a pretty good write up with some tips at the end on, on this topic. Exactly. Like how to transform to, uh, I don't know if she says cloud native, but how to transform the way you're doing your it around. Right. Yeah, I mean, there was that question midway through. It was either the analyst one or another, but I think it was the analyst day. I mean, how do you how do you have a five thousand person IT group and and help that transform or ten thousand? Or I mean, that's a daunting problem. Versus we have you know twenty five devs and we need to get them all thinking about agile. That's a fundamentally different challenge than a giant org probably distributed across continents thinking in a new way. And it was also you know as part of that, as you mentioned, incubation of success is key. You're not just going to top down mandate, say we're doing X, Y, Z, everybody figure it out, go. But I, I was impressed at the rate of acceleration that, you know, whatever Comcast or Allstate were doing a year ago, seems like they're doing a lot more of it now. And so right. you've gone from incubating to hundreds of devs. That That is a pretty fantastic rate of adoption of people seeing like this, this makes my life better. I'd like some more of that, please. Yeah. I mean, there's probably some uh, game you can play about how long I, I talk in any given setting before I mention that I've worked in strategy at Dell, but that is <laughs> from working in strategy at Dell. Like that's, that's one thing that, that you understand about large companies is, I don't know if it's quite a hockey stick, but at some point, uh, the advantages of scale kick in at a, a very large organization. And once you've kind of proven something out, you can roll it out really quickly to a huge amount of people. I shouldn't say really quickly, but you can roll it out to a bunch of people. And then the overall impact that you get is the same. I mean, it's kind of analogous to the, uh, 
Well, I, I think they still have this power, but the heft of power that, that Microsoft has had, you know, ever since it, they, they did that deal with IBM way back when is that they just have this huge install base. And when something's proven out, you can propagate it very quickly. It's almost, if you were to put viral adoption on one end of a gradient, whatever it is I'm talking about is on the opposite end of it. <laughs> it's, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like forced virality <laughs> that, that, that you have. I mean, I think that. But that low, I think that low barrier to entry and the fact that this is run as a service makes a huge difference. It's one thing for exactly. most people to say, hey, Microsoft Excel looks awesome. Where do I get the CD and install this thing? This is CF push looks amazing. Can I just take my repo and start pointing stuff there? Like that's even easier than saying, sure, you know, pick your container technology. Looks great. How do I stand up a cluster and figure out how to script it together and, and push an app? Like the, the barrier to entry is so low that you can see why an enterprise dev looks at this and goes, uh, yeah, I'd like some of that. And it, it takes them an afternoon to push a couple apps. Definitely. It's, it's, uh, yeah. And, and, and I think, I think that's, that's one of the main stories I see in, uh, in, I don't know, I, to, to use a phrase from one of my booklets of last year or my only one, the, the cloud native journey is there, there, there's a bit of a hump to get that initial thing set up. And as long, when, once you get it set up initially, you get, you get your enterprise cloud set up as it were, then it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like, oh, sure, I'd love to do that. And then, and then if it's available, and I think that's where the, the scale of a large organization comes in is if it's really easy for people in an organization to start using something, which requires that setting it up initially, then, uh, at that point, it, uh, it spreads super fast, uh, you know, relative to uh, installing a DVD, definitely going to back to your Excel analogy. Right. I think it was the Comcast fellow who had mentioned that, you know, when you, you make things, when you, when you lower that barrier to entry, you make things contagious and you make everyone want to jump in on that stuff, which, which sounds risky, like a Zika virus concern. But, you know, I, I think there's, there's something to that. And it was another thing mentioned in keynotes, you have to make the, you know, make the hard things easy. And when you start doing those things, I think world-weary developers and operations staff who finally see a way to deploy things that function at scale on something that won't tip over and doesn't take 100 admins to operate, that, that sounds pretty good. It doesn't mean it's perfect, but that's something where, you know, you mentioned early on, the, even the public and private thing, hey, a lot of enterprises, because of their scale, have a lot of unused capacity, and dropping that thing on-premises is probably less friction than figuring out how to stand it up in the public cloud. So, all sorts of things of trying to make it easier to get this thing up and running and getting developers on board, getting operations staff efficient with it. I, I think we're figuring that out in a, in a pretty good way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have anything else uh, from the CF Summit that stood out to you? No, besides, I mean, I think the quality of partner, not that, you know, we, hey, you love partners every year, but this year that pavilion, again, wasn't just full of, hey, we have a distribution of Cloud Foundry, come talk to us. This was... Hey, Tipco's there. Everybody knows who Tipco is for messaging. Hey, we work in Cloud Foundry now. Or Apogee was actually on stage talking about stuff. Or for Wonder of Wonders, Microsoft doing three sessions, built announcing service brokers for Cloud Foundry and having a booth. Like, what alternate universe is this? So I think we saw a really interesting set of partners continue to come on. You saw more announcements of, of who's in the foundation. And you know now the challenge is going to be how do you make sure you keep velocity with more and more kind of hanger-ons onto the foundation, which is awesome. But how does that not accidentally cause you to become maybe a little more slow moving? Sam seems pretty focused on that. And clearly Pivotal continues to add our value add to the base capability. But, you know, size and scale can slow you down if you're not ready for it. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, you know, GE also had a booth there, which, which is interesting, right? Like you, you don't always see a lot of, 
user booths. And I, uh, of course, they're, they're also an investor in Pivotal. So they have more than just a user stake. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they had, they had a nice little demo of, uh, what was it? It, w- it was kind of like a mock up of, uh, of an oil refinery or whatever, like a tabletop oil refinery. So just a weird little model. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting to like get, get an overview of how, how everything we've been talking about fits into that kind of industrial world. Now, you know, maybe it's not obvious, but obviously they don't, they don't run like, uh, cloud foundry, like in the machinery or whatever, but it, uh, it gets uploaded to a central thing where there's a lot of near real time, uh, data processing to figure out what to do in all that machinery. But that's a, if, if you're ever at one of these shows and you get to get a chance to go over and see, uh, see that stuff, it's actual like three dimensional things which is entertaining for software people. That's neat. Yeah, I mean, but to your point, as much as it might not be sitting here running the oil refinery, the other thing I think we saw is that this is not running people's static public-facing websites. It's running a number of things that really matter within the company. And again, that's good to see. That's the sign of maturity, I think, is that this isn't the play thing or this isn't the thing where we just push a mobile app to. It's, look, I, I can run something that isn't allowed to go down on this platform. That's, I think, the first testament that you're running something that's meaningful. Yeah, next year we need to, uh, we should tell the foundation to get one of the, the auto manufacturers like Ford or Dahmer or someone to come in and uh, plunk a, pump a car down. I think, I think you've sa- you, you can safely say you've arrived as a conference when you have a car there on the, uh, the booth right. floor. So that, that'll, that'll right. be a good milestone. Sure, we'll have a showcase showdown to give it away to uh, whoever gets closest on price. <laughs> exactly. Hope maybe maybe they'll have it in Las Vegas, and we can get Drew Carey to come or, or whoever. That'll that right. that'll be fantasy land. Well, so what what I I don't know what we should close out with. I have a few like things upcoming I can go over. Do you have uh you know it's always good to have some sort of thing you do at the end of the podcast, whether it's recommendations or uh, I don't know jokes. Jokes are terrible. We shouldn't do yeah. jokes. No, no, we got to work on catchphrases, but there are some good things coming on up in the month of June. There's more of these cloud native roadshows, which I'm pretty excited about. We're coming to Seattle, so I don't have to go very far to check that out. Obviously, Spring One Conference coming up. I bought my tickets to that, and it sounds like we were just chatting with the one of the organizers on on Friday, and and he was sifting through and and finalized 60 of the sessions, so you'll start to see that come online soon. seems like there's a a good set of things coming along in the summer from an event perspective and all these user groups that keep popping up. And I don't know, the the summer's not just the doldrums unless you live in Europe and take the month, you know, three months off. (laughs) Or at least, yeah, you know, I I, I used to, when I was at Red Monk, one of the founders is is, uh, British or half British, and and then the other one enjoys Maine, so we would just have all of August off. Seems like a good lifestyle. That that was that was fun times. But yeah, that's true. There's tons of road shows coming up. I'll I'll put a a, a link in the show notes to it. But uh, th- those are great because one, you don't have to go anywhere, and you can get a uh, more or less free lunch. You know, there's no timeshare to buy, but you can get you can get a, a free lunch and some snacks, and you can see a demo of uh, of what Pivotal Cloud Foundry actually does and how it fits in and. A lot of the people who give it are uh, on the team that I work with, so I can vouch for them. They're they're very entertaining and g- give good g- demos of stuff. And then also, uh, you know, I, I I'm I'm doing there'll be a webinar that I'm doing with uh, Donnie over at Four Five One Research coming out. Uh, I think at the end of June or so. Well, I'll have to when, we'll have to mention that uh, when we record next. Hopefully, we'll have a link up for it. 
And I'll also be uh, in Poland, of all places, speaking at a meetup on June 20th in Warsaw. And then I'm going to be at uh, the real the, the real reason. The main reason I'm going is uh, to go to DevOx. And, and I broke one of my, my rules of conferences, which is only speak once at a conference. For some reason, I'm speaking twice. I, I need to go uh, find, uh, find my admin and tell them not to do this again, whoever that may be. Dangerous territory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, one of them is a very non-technical, uh, just sort of uh, off the top of my head talk, which is to say off the top of my head when I plan it out. I don't actually have to get anything right because it's all just my opinion. So that'll be easy. No way just to get it wrong. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So for those, uh, also for those listening, is, is you have ideas for things you'd even like to hear us cover, I think finding you know, Cote on Twitter and, and myself on Twitter, feel free to engage us, email whatever channels is we want to make sure we're covering things that are also pretty interesting to uh, to those who listen as you want us to debate certain topics or, or pretend to disagree with each other. Let us know. <laughs> exactly. Well, as always, and and as is new, this is uh, this has been Pivotal Conversations. You can find the uh, links to this episode and show notes and all the usual stuff, including the RSS feed to subscribe to. Uh, we're, we're listed there in the iTunes, of course. But if you go to pivotal.io slash podcast, uh, I think you might be able to add an S there as well, but you can figure it out. You can uh, you can find all of that there, and we'll see everyone next time.